Okay, so true story. There was a pastor in Minnesota who would go out into rural communities and officiate at funerals in areas where there weren't enough churches to handle the number of funerals they had. And so he partnered with a funeral home to be able to do this. So what would happen is that he and an undertaker would uh, drive out in a hearse, take the body out and do the funeral in this rural community and then drive back after they had the burial. So uh, one day coming back from doing one of these funerals, the pastor is just beat, tired, exhausted. It's like, I, I need to take a nap. Well, I'm, I'm in a hearse. I could just kind of lay down in the back, right? I mean, it'd be comfy. Uh, you know, kind of weird, but you do you, whatever. And so that's what he does. He gets back there and stretches out and falls asleep. So the undertaker driving the car stops after a little bit to get some gas. And this is back when there were service station attendants who would come out and fill up your tank for you. And so there's one of these attendants filling up the tank. He kind of looks in this hearse and sees a dead body, or what he thinks is a dead body, and thinks it's a little weird, but okay. Well, the pastor wakes up, sits up, knocks on the window, and waves at the gas station attendant. And he said he never saw somebody run so fast. (laughs) Whenever we find life where we're expecting death, people freak out. And when Lazarus walked out of that tomb after being dead for four days, a lot of people freaked out. There are all kinds of different responses to Lazarus coming out of the grave. But but one response you won't find among anyone was that no one disputed it. No one denied that Lazarus had been dead and put in the grave and now was alive. All the responses assume that that was true. That was, that was the facts on the ground. The first response to Lazarus's resurrection was this. The chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Yeah, no kidding, right? I mean, here's this guy who claimed to be the Messiah. He did these miracles, but now he just raised this dead man to life. And so people are starting to believe and follow him. And so the religious establishment is like, hey, we got to kill Lazarus. Now, notice this. Sin makes you very stupid. Because isn't Lazarus the one Jesus rose from the dead? Raised from the dead? So if you kill him, can't Jesus just raise him again? So what's the point of killing a guy that Jesus will raise if he wants to? But sin always has that effect. It always keeps us from thinking clearly. Sin always makes you stupid. The second response is this one. Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Yeah, they saw Jesus raise Lazarus and and it it kind of confirmed in their heart and their mind that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Messiah. And so they wanted to follow him and give their allegiance to Jesus. And, And then the last response was this one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. This was the response, the very unfortunate response of the religious establishment. They wanted to kill Jesus because they felt threatened by his popularity and his power. And so they started to plot of how to get rid of Jesus because they felt threatened by him. 
You notice that all these people, they, they saw the same thing. They all saw that, that Jesus had, had raised Lazarus from the grave, but they had a variety of, of responses to him. And that's always been the case. It's true today too, isn't it? I mean, people hear Jesus' claims, they, they read the Gospels, they, they, they hear about Jesus, and, and they have a variety of responses. And sometimes we're kind of, you know, uncomfortable with that. We wish everybody had the same response we did. And yet, from the very beginning, people have had different responses to Jesus. Well, let's start all the way back at the beginning of this story, back in John 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. This family, these siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they loved Jesus. And as soon as trouble came into their life in the form of Lazarus being seriously sick, they immediately go to Jesus. They immediately kind of what you would think of starting to pray to Jesus. Now, is that true of your family? That, that you take your problems to Jesus? Maybe they're big problems like someone being sick and their life being in danger. Or, or maybe they're just all the small problems that wear on you day in and day out. Do you, do you take it to Jesus? Not, not just as an individual, but as a family. Verse 4. When he heard this, in other words, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So this family loved Jesus, but Jesus loved this family too. We know that the Bible says that God loves the world and that Jesus loves everyone, and yet these are the only three people listed by name that the Gospels say that Jesus loved. So that's what makes the next verse so strange. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Because Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, he, he stayed two days longer. Because Jesus loved them, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he didn't run to his side. Because he loved them, he let Lazarus die. Because he loved them, he let Mary and Martha experience the pain that comes from knowing that, that someone that you love and care about died way too long, way too young. That's a strange kind of love, isn't it? I mean, it almost makes us step back and say, did, did Jesus really love him? I mean, at a minimum, it means that Jesus' love is really different than, than our love. Because according to the way that you and I think about love, what Jesus should have done when he heard about Lazarus' sickness is he should have dropped everything and run to his side. Because that's what we expect Jesus to do in our life, isn't it? We expect him to run to our side and to solve whatever problem we have, that that is how we know he loves us if he takes care of us and, and does what we want and, as far as our life is concerned. 
And, and if Jesus really loved him and he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, then why didn't he do it immediately? I mean, better yet, why even let Lazarus die? See, our, our, our culture defines love as uh, making another person happy, giving them a pain-free, trouble-free, hassle-free, disappointment-free life. But that's not Jesus' definition of love. Because when Jesus finds out that, that Lazarus is sick, he, he doesn't do what we expect. He doesn't run to his side. He doesn't fix his problem. Instead, he stays away and lets him die. Now, why would love cause Jesus to stay away? And the answer the Bible gives is that it is loving for Jesus to stay away because he's got something better to give Lazarus than physical life. It's loving for Jesus to stay away because he's got something better to give Mary and Martha than a pain-free, disappointment-free, hardship-free life. And Jesus has something better for you too. Jesus has something better to give you than just a life that turns out the way you want it to turn out. And Jesus is really clear what that was. That, that better thing that Jesus has for Lazarus and Mary and Martha and you and me and all of us is to, is to see his glory. That, that better thing that Jesus has for us is to see his glory, to, to see his beauty, to see his power and his majesty and his greatness so that we would know him and love him and depend on him and follow him. Is that what you want? Do you believe that Jesus loves you when he lets you go through hardship and difficulty and trials so that you can see his glory? See, maybe, maybe you need to hear this because right now you're wondering where God is in your life. Maybe you need to hear this this morning because you've been praying, but you don't see God moving. Maybe you have been waiting for God to do something, but so far he hasn't shown up. But, but maybe, maybe that's because God loves you so much that he's not coming to rescue you out of your problem. He's not coming to fix what concerns you. Maybe he's got something better for you. So Martha hears that Jesus has shown up and she runs out to see him. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die. And, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Martha comes out and she finds Jesus and she said, Jesus, you're too late. I mean, good try, but you're too late. And Jesus responds by saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. 
She comes out with bad theology and he corrects it. She comes out believing a lie and Jesus gives her the truth because the truth is that Jesus is never early and he's never late. Jesus is always on time. There's nobody like Jesus. There's no one who says the things that Jesus says. No religious leader, not Confucius, not Muhammad, not, not, not Moses, not Buddha. No religious leader claims to rule over life and death. I'm not saying that those religious leaders are, are, are not the resurrection and the life. I'm saying they don't even claim to be it. So, so Martha goes back and she tells Mary Jesus is here. And Mary runs out to see him. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, that's the same thing Martha said, right? The exact same thing. So I bet Jesus says the same thing, right? But he just repeats himself. I'm the resurrection and the life, right? Does the whole thing, corrects her bad theology. No. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how they loved him? So, so Mary says the exact same thing that Martha does, but Jesus doesn't respond in the same way. He doesn't correct her theology. Instead, he weeps with her. Jesus looks at Martha and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Don't despair. Don't lose hope. I'm never early. I, I'm never late. I'm always on time. But that's not what he does. That's not what he does with Mary. Instead, what he does in verse 35 is it just says he weeps. He, he, went, he wept. Yeah. I mean, what's that mean? It means that Jesus identified with her grief, that Jesus entered into her pain. Jesus wept. Do you think that Jesus is so distant from you that he doesn't know what's going on in your life? Do you think that Jesus doesn't care about the things that concern and burden you and the things that drive you to, to tears? Jesus weeps with you. He weeps with you in your loneliness. He weeps with you in your infertility. He weeps with you in your anxiety and in your fears and your cancer and your disappointment and your failures. Jesus knows and he cares, and he enters into your pain with you. Jesus wept. I mean, just two little words, two powerful words that make us know that we're never alone and that we're always understood. So then maybe, maybe Jesus responds to, to Martha and Mary so differently because that's what we need in our life. Like, like his response to, to, to Martha is truth. Here's good theology. I'm the resurrection and the life. And his response to Mary is to enter in her pain and weep with her. And maybe he does that because that's what we need. We need friends who will get in our face and say you're wrong. 
We need friends who will get in our face and tell us the truth about God and the truth about Jesus and the truth about ourselves and, and, and care so much about us that they will risk their friendship with us. That they won't be put off by our defensiveness. That they will persevere through our excuses. We need people like that in our life. And then we need people who come alongside of us and walk with us through it. Who weep with us. Who know what we're going through. Who, who, who have closed mouths and open hearts. But then maybe, maybe it's just that we don't need that in our life. But we need to be that for other people. Maybe we need to care so much about some people in our life that we get in their face and say, you're wrong. And, and we get in their face with the truth. And we get in their face and we stay there no matter how much they lash out against us and push back and don't want to hear it. And then, and then there's times that we need to come along people and keep our mouth shut and our heart open and weep with them to get down in the hole with them and to say, I'm here. I don't have the answers and I can't fix anything, but I'm here with you. I mean, the reality is that we get that wrong, don't we? I mean, people get it wrong with us they, and, and they have good intentions. And we know they have good intentions even though they're wrong because we have good intentions even when we're wrong. We want to do the right thing, but sometimes we speak too much truth when we should have kept our mouths shut. Other times we're, we're scared and we, we care what people think about us so we don't say what we know needs to be said. We get it wrong. We don't always know how to respond in any given moment. We don't always know what we need and we don't know what other people need. But you know who never gets it wrong? Jesus. Because there's no one like him he, he is truth and tenderness. He's exactly what we need. Verse 38. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Now this word that's translated deeply moved, it's hard to translate. Uh, uh, people think it maybe should read enraged. <laughs> Or, or bellowing, or snorting is what it literally means. Jesus comes to the tomb, and he's angry. He comes to the tomb, and he's bellowing with rage against death. See, he, he doesn't come to Lazarus' tomb and say, yeah, he died, everybody dies, get used to it. I mean, that's the way the world works, isn't it? Just resign yourself to this. He doesn't do that. But, but it is true. I mean, it is true that everyone dies. It is true that in, 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 in this sense that we all have a terminal illness. But Jesus doesn't say, get used to it. Instead, he looks at our biggest nightmare, death and suffering and pain and all that goes into it, and he's enraged. He's angry. He's snorting. He's bellowing. And what's that tell us? Well, it tells us that, that this is not part of God's plan. That, that, that Jesus did not create us to experience this. That the sin and evil that is in the world, well, it's not what God wanted. Not what God wanted. So if Jesus rages against sin and sickness and evil and death, 
then why didn't he just stop it if he doesn't want it? I mean, he can do that. He's God. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He can just stop it, right? Well, where is all that sin and evil? And where, where is it? It's in you. It's in me. Inside of us is the selfishness and the cruelty and the pride and the anger and all that leads to oppression and war and, and, and violence. If Jesus had come to wipe out evil, if Jesus came now to wipe out sin, then he would have to wipe out us. None of us would survive because we've got all that inside. So Tim Keller says, Jesus came not with a sword in his hand, but with nails in his hands. He said that Jesus did not just come to bring judgment, but to bear judgment. Jesus knew that in order for, for us to experience a resurrection, he would have to experience a crucifixion. He knew that he would have to die so that we could live. He knew that in order for Lazarus and us to come out of the grave, that he'd have to go in the grave. Jesus died so that we could live. He died and bore our judgment so that one day we could come out of the grave. But it cost him. I mean, you, you wonder, here Jesus is going up to this tomb, and he knows what he's going to do, right? He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, so why not go up and like a big smile on his face, right? Why not go up saying, hey, it's going to be fine, it's all good, don't worry, laugh, smile, going to do a miracle. Why go up there enraged, bellowing, snorting mad with tears coming down your eyes? Why? Because he knew what it would cost him to save us. See, we're, we're all like Lazarus. We're all like Lazarus in that one day we too will be in the tomb. One day we too will die of some sickness of some cause. We forget that. We put it out of our mind. I mean, we know everybody dies. We're just not sure that we die. You know how it goes? I, I met a guy from Bhutan once. I think that's how you say it. It's a tiny little country. Uh, it's a little red dot between India and China. And because I met this guy, I just wanted to learn a little bit about uh, the country he was from. And so I did a little reading, and I found out that there's an there's a, a, a index that measures national happiness. And Bhutan, for a long time, was the leader, the number one country in the world in national happiness. And now it's still ranked very high. Here's a little landlocked country between China and India. Most people there live in poverty. So how do you explain that the country is so happy? Well, the way the, the people who live there explain it is that there's a cultural social tradition that they think about death five times a day. Five times a day, they take time to think about their death, that they too will be in the tomb. And they're convinced that thinking about their death makes their life happier and better. Did you know there's an app for that? <laughs> there's, there's an app that will help you. Uh, it's based on the Bhutanese kind of philosophy that will help you think about your death five times a day. It's called 
We croak, we croak. And, and you can go there and, and, and download it, and it'll send you a random message five times a day. You're going to die. You're going to die. It's, it's pretty creative. But it reminds you that you're going to be in the place of Lazarus, right? It reminds you of how all of our lives here end. And that helps us to put things in perspective, to see what's important. But it also helps us meet Jesus. It helps us to know him, to love him, to see his glory as more important than our problems being fixed. But at the very end, Jesus looked at Mary and Martha and said, do you believe? And if he looked at you today and asked you that question, do you believe? How do you respond? Let's pray. Jesus, we want to believe. Help us in our unbelief. Jesus, we want to believe that you love us so much that you bring hardship into our life to give us something better than what we think of as a good life. Jesus, we want to believe that you love us so much that you know what's best for us. And so we want to trust you right now with all the burdens and all of the cares. We just bring them to you, Jesus. Jesus, we want to believe that you weep with us that you don't sit at a distance watching us, but that you've entered into our pain and our life. And that the things that burden us burden you. And the things that make us cry bring tears to your eyes. We want to believe. Jesus, we want to believe that, that there is no reason for us to give up hope. There, there is no reason for, for us to give in to despair because you raised Lazarus from the dead and therefore we all have hope. We want to believe, Jesus, that you have conquered sin and Satan and death and that one day, one day we will hear your voice that tells us to come out. We want to believe, Jesus, that one day this whole world will, will hear your voice, that you will do for this whole world what you did for Lazarus, that you will say, come out, be new. Oh, Jesus, we, we want to believe. Help us with our unbelief. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.